Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce of the Prospect team here. I'm joined by Dylan White. This is our fantasy show, so of course we ought to have our fantasy guru, Dylan, on the show with me. Today we're going to be talking about our infield ranks. First, we're going to mention that the Fantasy Summit is coming up this Saturday. This is releasing on Friday. We're recording on Wednesday, actually. Um, but that's Saturday. That's open to all Baseball America subscribers. So if you don't have a subscription, you're listening to this, you want to join us. We have a full day, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, all the way out to 10 o'clock at night. We're going to be covering a wide variety of topics from redraft to NFBC. Of course, a ton of Dynasty talk because that's what we really like to focus on here at Baseball America is the dynasty side of things where prospect means we like all levels of baseball. So there's going to be a lot of dynasty topics. We'll get into some of that probably later. But now I want to jump in a little bit. I want to talk about some of these news items. First, we're going to start with probably the saddest point of my week. <laughs> and that's when I learned that Daniel Espino is still recovering from uh, a shoulder injury and procedure and Chase DeLauder, one of my favorite targets in FYPD missing four to five months uh he had a procedure done in his toe this is awful news if you're a guardians fan this is awful news if you roster either of these guys in a dynasty league i know that you know this offseason with fypd is going on i have gotten delotter pretty much anywhere i possibly could a lot of the mocks he's been a guy that i've been targeting so this one cut deep i i, I really like to chase delotter as a player you know i saw how good he was in the cape when he was fully healthy and I kind of want the world to see that. You know, this is a very exciting, tooled-up guy, true five-tool player. You know, he's got the hitting ability, certainly the big power, speed. Hopefully that remains um, an arm, and he can play center field. So you know, he's one of those players that I was really, really excited about. Daniel Espino, I don't think I have to say that I'm excited about him. I think everybody was excited about him. It's going to be over a year by the time this guy gets back on a mound and pitches. I know I was talking to JJ a little bit offline today, and he had brought up similar procedure. Brennan McKay, we've seen what's happened with his career. He recently got DFA'd. Um, another guy that kind of came back from it is Julio Urias. He's kind of the only example we have of a guy that's really come back to form and had a really successful career. But it often takes sort of two years until you get fully back from this particular procedure on the shoulder Shoulders worry me a lot more than Tommy John surgery. And, you know, I think the thing that's kind of crazy about this, Dylan, is if he had had Tommy John surgery, we'll say, last May or June, he'd pretty much almost be throwing right now. And we would probably expect him back this year with the shoulder thing, which was initially billed as a knee injury when he got injured. And then we started to hear a little bit more. I'm concerned. So what's your level of concern with Espino? And sort of how are you handling him now in, in dynasty leagues? Is he a guy that you feel you got a hold on? Are you trying to sell for anything you can get? I don't think you can sell. I think 
I think you gotta, he had the, he, he was one of the top prospect pitching prospects in the game. I think fan graphs just announced, uh, just released their top 100 and uh, Eric Longenhagen was saying that they originally had him number 12. And then with this news, they dropped him to 93. So I actually think that's not bad. I think he's still got to be top 100. He had like a 50% strikeout rate. He could bounce back. Um, by the end of the year, Cleveland's not going to rush him. They have a lot of a lot of arms in the pipeline. They, they're not relying on him to come out and and uh, join their rotation. They can, they can slow play him. Um, I am concerned though. I don't know if I trade for him unless I can get a, a a really good deal. I just don't think the person who has Daniel Espino is just going to unload. Um, Typically, people, in my experience, league mates get their backup when uh, they have a, a prized asset get injured and then everyone pounces in saying, hey, I'll give you a fourth rounder for him. Um, they tend to get uh, a bit annoyed by that. Um, I'm curious about the lotter and your thoughts. Like, How much do you think this is going to set back his development being out five months? Well, it's funny. I think when you compare and contrast the two, um, with Espino, though he was in double A and he was so dominant over that first month, we never really saw him get challenged at that point. Mm. He really needed to develop a third pitch. I think once you get up to the major leagues, regardless of how good your fastball and slider combination are, you know, Spencer Strider notwithstanding, of course. So maybe he could fall into that category as well. There's very few that can. I worry about him like developing as a pitcher probably more than I do with the lotter. The thing with the lotter is it's it's gonna be a year since he was in a baseball field full time. There's going to be a ramp up period. That being said, if, you know, the team having talked to some internal contacts over the last couple of days, they do feel that, you know, when he, they sort of started to see he was having some trouble. He ended up having the procedures of bone graft, you know, on that particular toe. They hope that it's going to rectify the issue that he had and that this will allow him to get back to full health. We've seen stuff like this before. Um, You know, yeah, you know, you, you, Feet aren't great. Knees aren't great if you're a hitter. But it's also one of those things, and I think this is sort of a a Jeff Zimmerman-ism, but, like, hitters are kind of hurt until they're not. So if this is sort of a procedure that's going to allow him to get back to 100%, back to full strength, full systems go, being able to be the explosive player that he is, we'll see what happens. You know, hopefully, I don't think the body's going to back up anything like that. Cleveland's a smart organization. They do a pretty good job of preparing these guys. I think what it does is it sets back his ETA a little bit further, where I thought he was a guy that was probably going to move pretty quick, probably start the season in high A, end up in, you know, double A, probably by June or July. Now that's set back by a few months. He's probably not going to be back until June or July. He's going to spend three or four weeks on the complex, then probably be in Lake County, I would, I would guess, for a majority of the season. And if things go well, could finish in double A. When I say that this guy was the best player on the Cape, he legitimately was one of the best Cape Cod hitters that I had ever seen. Like, this guy was better than Brooks Lee. You know, I saw him in the same field multiple times against Spencer Jones, and it was never a question in my mind who was better. Um, So I'm not that concerned, but I'm concerned enough that, like, okay, we moved him down on the list. We actually moved him behind Spencer Jones on our Fantasy Top 100. We adjusted the, the FYPD ranks as well, if you go and check those out. Uh, we have outfield ranks coming out actually today on the site. So go and check those out. Um, so, you know, it was one of those things where like, I think it adjusted just the ETA a little bit, kind of maybe be like, all right, you should move back a few spots. Like my aggression isn't as heavy as it was, but 
I, I still don't think that he's not going to come back and be like a good hitter, you know, and have sort of the upside to be that five tool guy. Maybe there's some questions about the speed now, but you know, he had a little bit to burn where, you know, he was a guy that was running legitimate 60 run times pretty consistently, um, you know, over that summer on the Cape. So, you know, I'm not all that concerned, but concerned enough that I thought we needed to adjust him in the rankings, if that makes sense. But long-term, I think that he'll probably get back to health. It's probably just a setback. He was a fairly, I don't think, I think he was still 20 at the time that he was drafted. Um, I think it was in October. It's October, September birthday. He was just one of those guys that had three years in college. So, you know, he was able to, to graduate, uh, to, to hit the draft a little bit earlier. Um, so, you know, with a guy like that, for me, there's plenty of time. I guess he had some time to burn is sort of the, the point that I'm making here. I wouldn't be too concerned. He's such a freaky athlete, and there's such huge raw power. I mean, we're going to talk about Tyler Locklear in, in a minute, and him and Tyler would sort of go tit for tat in batting practice and, you know, see who could hit the most home runs. And I don't know if I saw Tyler beat him once. <laughs> like, you know, and that's that's pretty remarkable when you consider the type of power that Locklear has, um, you know, and the hit tool quality. And, like, once again, it wasn't a question who had the better hit tool, who had the better power. Um, this guy had more hard hit balls in play at 95-plus than he had non-balls in play that were 95 or below uh, or 94 below. So I think that says a lot about, you know, the kind of player DeLotter can be. For me, it's just I'm sort of – a little bit angry because I wanted the world to see how good this guy was and that I wasn't just talking out of my butt uh, with some of my uh, DeLotter hyperbole over the last year or so. So that was one that kind of uh, bugged me a little bit, but you know, I think I'm, this, you know. this is a guy to target speaking of like a speedo, maybe you're not going to be able to get him. I think DeLotter might be because he hasn't shown uh, what he can do yet professionally. Mm-hmm. And people are taking him in, in FYPD drafts and they, you know, they're going to have a roster crunch in June. He still hasn't played. And so they have to cut somebody and they may want to cut him. So maybe you can swoop in before they have their emotional investment into this guy that maybe you could get him cheap and still get him at a, a top 100 uh, or get him assuming he's going to be top 100, but not pay the top 100 price. Yeah. And I think especially when you consider, where he was going in FYPDs. And if you have a shallower league, that's 12 to 15 teams, it might even be a competing team that ended up taking him. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if you're a rebuilding team and you have a major leaguer that can fill a lineup spot for this competing team, that's upgrade on something that they already potentially have. It's probably a pretty easy deal to make. Right. And, you know, those are the sort of dynasty trades that make sense for both sides and could be a good trade for both sides. So, um, I think that, you know, that probably makes sense. He's probably more of a target and it's you know, just, it's probably a little bit less murky than dealing with an injured pitcher, which the best predictor of future injuries for pitchers, that's another Jeff Zimmermanism, is, you know, current injuries or past injuries. And, you know, certainly Espino's had those and he's got some funky mechanics, et cetera. So we'll see how, how he makes out, but that's a scary one. Um, let's move on to some more happy news. So uh, we're going to call this little segment here, Are You Buying? And uh, the first one that I have here, he's been all the rage. Uh, hit a home run over to- off of Tony Gonson on the backfields and early spring training. That's Jason Hayward now with the Dodgers. A lot of talk about how he's reworked his swing. Um, I think it was maybe Kyle offline that had made this joke that it's like, this is like the new best shape of your life story. Is like, you know, it's, it's definitely spring training when you hear a Jason Hayward's remade his swing story. I think the thing that people are buying, though, is it's the Dodgers, right? 
and the Dodgers being able to remake a swing. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I think people maybe aren't aware that, you know, the Cubs have their own swing guru, Justin Stone, who's considered sort of one of the best hitting and hitting mechanics gurus. It's one of the reasons Cody Bellinger went uh, to the Cubs, I believe, is to be able to work with Stone. So I don't know how much I'm buying this. And like Jason Hayward hits home runs in the major leagues every season. So like him hitting a home run off off a major leaguer on the backfields, that doesn't get me all that excited. Dylan, are you buying the Hayward revival or what? It's tough. I think Dave Roberts said that uh, Hayward is kind of leading the contention for for the final outfield spot. The Dodgers didn't really make the moves that we kind of hoped. So they have like David Peralta, maybe Trace Thompson. They've got they've got Gavin Lux in the infield for sure, starting. Who we'll talk about later. So. I mean, it's sound. They don't really have that many options that are that are that are kind of screaming to take his spot. So I think they'll give him some play. Whether he'll excel during that, I don't know. So I mean, I'm not buying him like a an outfield three. I would take a shot on him, but it would be you know my last outfield spot, and just kind of hope you you catch lightning in a bottle. Because yeah, you're right. It's a, every year it looks like this is the year Jason Hayward's gonna gonna break out and. Uh, you know, he has the athleticism to do it, and then it just never kind of happens. Yeah, and I mean, we've been down this road so many times. It's not like, you know, Jason Hayward is 25. He's no spring chicken. He's already had, like, a max contract. <laughs> Come to the end of that. So, yeah, I have major questions as to whether this is a great investment. I think if you're in a deeper dynasty league and the acquisition cost isn't that high, you know, you need a lot of, uh, you know, depth in order to sort of meet your limits in terms of plate appearances and at-bats. I understand make, making that move. Uh, I would not want to pay an exorbitant cost. But if you if you have him rostered on your Dynasty League like that right now, I'd be shopping him because I think there's some people that are probably looking at this, trying to buy into it, looking at who Jason Hayward was, you know, early in his career and hoping that, you know, he can maybe, you know, sort of get back to that level. So, We'll see, but yeah, I'm not buying. I'm not buying really with Hayward. Uh, I, he'd be a sell for me, as you had mentioned a little bit, teased. Gavin Lux, another big name in Dodgers camp, another guy who's expected to sort of fill in. And now that they've had some pretty significant departures, I know we talked about this, uh, Kyle and I, a couple days ago on the Dodgers podcast. That they lost Trey Turner. You know, the year before they lost Corey Seager. Um, you know, they, they they lost Justin Turner, who was kind of a heart and soul guy for them. I know he was down a little bit. They lost Cody Bellinger, who had fallen off a little bit. But still, this is a lot of production that they do have to replace. Lux is in a really great spot to take advantage and get some of that playing time, get some of those at-bats. That's 50% of the equation in fantasy. It's the production, you know, plus the at-bats or the projected at-bats when we're putting together projections. He added 15 pounds of muscle. I believe he worked... Uh, out at driveline this off season was taking it something crazy, like 4,500 calories a day or something in order to add this mass added 15 pounds. The part of his game that's been missing that really was sort of what pushed him in the, in the minors when he was one of these top prospects coming up was the power. And we really haven't seen it as somebody who has Lux rostered in a few leagues. I want to buy into this. You know, I like hearing this, but this is one of those best shape of your life kind of things that, you know, the, the proof is really in the eating. We got to see it. So are you buying on the Gavin Lux thing? Because I'm I'm kind of fence-sitting a little bit on this one. I kind of am. I mean, Driveline, they were the ones behind the Lars Newt bar kind of uh, 
re resurgence or revitalization, whatever you want to call that, rebirth. Um, and Lars Nupar is has succeeded and kind of actualized in the majors by by you know reworking his swing and, and adding adding the the exit velocity. So I'm assuming that adding the muscle for Lux is going to add the exit velocity. We already liked the hit tool. He's going to get full time at bats. It sounds like he's still young. Uh, and this is the type of thing where you like the projections haven't caught up because they don't know this. They're just going off past performance. And so someone who's just looking at the, the, the projection saying, oh, and he's a, he's worth quote unquote $4. So yeah, you know what? That's like a middle infielder. I'm not buying like that's, that's the type of guy that you can, you can uh, really reap a windfall from. So I'm kind of buying, I kind of think he may be like, uh like number 15 shortstop is that what he's he's gonna play shortstop but is that where he's eligible now i don't know but he's yeah i think he could be like i think you could even jump him and not be just a middle infielder he can be your second baseman or shortstop and it may pay off yeah i i have to be honest like i'm, I'm fencing a little bit because i have i have him rostered in so many different dynasty formats but yeah i think if you're gonna buy in this is sort of the right narrative to buy in on young player you know, he's had his a thousand plate appearances. He knows what major league pitching looks like. He knows what he needs to adjust to. He's got really good player development and coaching behind him. And, you know, there's still some thump in that lineup. There's obviously no question about that. So, you know, this is the kind of player that's still at that sort of point where he hasn't quite peaked yet. We're like, yeah, buy in now. The price may never be as cheap. And I don't, I don't think the acquisition cost is going to be so crazy that you're going to look back on it at the end of the year, even if he falls flat and say like, oh man, that, that really, you know, screwed my season. I don't think it's going to be one of those. So I think we're both buying on that one. All right. We're going to keep with the driveline stuff a little bit here. Um, one of my favorite pitchers going into the last year, he's a player. I, I just, I like fastballs like this flat fastballs. And I mean that in a good way, you know, like a flat launch angle in terms of, you know, vertical approach angle, um, which is, how it comes and looks to the hitter coming out of the hands. You know, it doesn't have sort of that downhill plane. It's tougher to get on plane with fastballs like this. Of course, I'm talking about the Invisible, Joe Ryan. He worked with Chris Langan, uh, Langan Tots 13. If you don't uh, follow him on Twitter, you should. I did a great interview with him last year, sort of breaking down some different type of uh, pitches and things like that on the 90th percentile podcast that I do. He worked with Joe Ryan this year. Ryan has that great fastball. The secondaries have always been the big issue for Ryan. Added a sweeper slider at 82 to 84 miles per hour, sort of a power sweeper, um, you know, getting, I think, over uh, a foot of, of horizontal movement. It was 13.5 inches uh, in terms of what we saw. And then he added a split changeup, another pitch that can play, you know, really well off of that fastball, really sort of something that he needed where it's going to look very similar out of the hand and then just sort of cascade off of it and drop and, and sort of messes with hitters' eye levels. The fact that he's going to have something to go high, low, and sort of in between on, that's a great look. I'm into splitters. There's a lot of teams in particular that have been targeting pitchers with uh, splitters. The Twins happen to be one of those teams where Joe Ryan pitches. I'm buying on this Joe Ryan thing because if he has 250 secondaries with that fastball, good God, look out. This guy could end up you know pushing his way into the top. 20 or 30 starters this year. And that wouldn't shock me whatsoever. He didn't even have a bad year last year, just sort of run out of gas. So if he can go a little bit longer, because he's able to turn the lineup over a little bit quicker, he's more efficient because he's not just always trying to feast off of that fastball. I'm in. Dylan, what do you think about the Joe Ryan experience going into the year? 
I like it. I, I've been I've been prepping for redraft uh, TGFBI. I, I'm going to be in Tout Wars, um, so I've started my prep, and I have Joe Ryan um, in the sort of 31 to 45 SP range, so SP three in a 15 team. And we're going to talk to Jordan Rosenblum at the BA Fantasy Summit, the quick plug, about his uh, Stuff Plus projections that he derived from Enosaris's sort of Stuff Plus model. Um, and in that tier, just looking at it today, in the tier of 31 to 45, Joe Ryan has the best Stuff Plus projection of that tier. So he's at the top of the, of the tier three guys. And that's without knowing, again, agnostic projection systems that don't know anything about any development that's happening in the offseason he's already knocking on the door of sp2 so adding this like i don't think it's gonna hurt him i think it's very good very good possibility he's going to be an sp2 and so in dynasty leagues i think that's definitely a buy yeah absolutely and i think you know any format he's going to be a, a player that i'm going to be targeting in a lot of different drafts um not in my labor i'm in tout as well didn't do uh tgfbi the last few years but uh, congratulations and kudos to you, by the way. Uh, I saw that, you know, Jordan Rosenblum, we're just saying his, his name left and right in this podcast, uh, did some projected rankings out for uh, players in TGFBI this year. And you ranked number one, Dylan. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Kudos. I know uh, you're too humble to, to talk about it, but I wanted to make sure that we got a quick plug in there. And of course, Jordan, for doing uh, incredible work. No matter where he's working, you know, does some good stuff over at Prospects Live as well. Um, let's jump into it, though. The, the meat of this show is going to be our infield rankings. If you go to Baseball America, we actually have all the position rankings up now. Catchers, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield just released today. Um, we're going to go through, because an exercise that we do when we put these together, we don't write up every single player. Kind of focus on who are our buys, who are our fades, and who are our sleepers. I want to talk about some of our buys. Um, in particular, first base, I had Andrew Vaughn. We could talk about that a little bit later. I've just always had a thing for Andrew Vaughn. Another Cape guy, you know, they always stick in my mind. I think he's somebody that's, you know, now that he's playing first base full-time and not having to learn a new position, <laughs> probably a good thing. That's kind of my entire spiel there. But Rowdy Telez is a player that really interests me. And... You know, one of the things that I always try to do every offseason when I start to do my prep this time of year is look for some hitters who maybe underperformed what they should have done. They have good plate approach. Their contact skills are pretty good. They hit the ball hard. But for whatever reason, they had an unusually low batting average on balls in play. We can usually expect that to regress back to the mean. He had, Rowdy Telez was your target. 215 batting average on balls in play. I would think that's going to regress back to the mean. So talk to me a little bit about why you're targeting Rowdy this year and, and, and why you like him in all formats. Yeah. My, my, my favorite thing to look at with hitters is contact and then contact quality. So Rowdy Telez last year, you talked about the Babbitt, but he had a higher barrel rate, which is contact quality than Vlad jr. And he had a better contact rate than Vlad jr. So he, he exceeded the, the two metrics that I love the most uh, exceeded what Vlad jr. Did. So I think he is just poised and primed for a breakout. Um, the projections actually buy it too. They have him as a 120 WRC plus um, that may be a bit inflated because he, he kind of only 
hits against righties. So that's sort of like the Jock Peterson thing where you look at his his projections and he looks like he's fantastic, but that's because he never plays against lefties and the projection systems don't really know that. They just know that he he crushes what he plays. Um, so yeah, Telez is just a guy. He's in that middle tier of first baseman right now for Dynasty and Redraft. He's in that sweet spot where he's probably undervalued and people who like him aren't going to like refuse to trade him. Um, and so I think that's a, just a, t- a target for me, especially this year. And then after he does what I think he's going to do this year, he's going to be a very popular name in the offseason next year. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is a guy that could, you know, potentially burst into the top 10 of the position, especially where you look where first base is at this point, um, you know, really outside of like the top five or six, maybe even seven names, there's a lot of players from like eight to 20 that, you know, could potentially finish in that, that top 10, top 15, and it wouldn't be a huge stretch. I think this is a name that that could potentially happen with. We'll forget about the fades. If you want to check those out, go to baseballamerica.com. Look at the first base rankings. We have under the fantasy tab at the top of the site, we have, you know, an entire rankings module that has everything linked out we'll have the pictures there next week and then we build out the dynasty rankings for the end of next week you'll have those as well but i thought you had we mentioned him earlier really interesting sleeper tyler locklear from seattle um, a standout with vcu was really good in the cape you know sort of as a one-two punch with the lotter in that orleans lineup what did you like about locklear because i know that you had uh, a graphic in here that was really really interesting kind of likening him to some of the bigger names right now uh, in the fantasy prospect side. Yeah, exactly. Like I was talking about with Rowdy Telez, it's contact and contact quality. So I looked at low A hitters with a minimum of hundred plate appearances on the X axis. I have in zone contact. And then on the Y axis, I have hard, hard hit rate, which is percentage of balls in play that are greater than 95 uh miles per hour and there's a cluster in the top right which is where you want to be you're you're getting you're making contact and you're crushing it when you do make contact and that cluster there's james wood there's jackson merrill there's junior camonero and then tyler locklear just sitting there unsung hero tyler locklear so again this is the metric i like to look at uh, and he is not going that high in in FYPDs right now, he's going after pick number 30. I did talk about him on the Rotowire podcast with James Anderson, who will be an, a guest on the BA Fantasy Summit as well. Um, so maybe he's not a secret. Maybe he is uh, getting his name out there now. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a target that I, that I like it in the first place. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Position. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think those are a couple of good names to focus on. Um, but why don't we move on to second base? Because we have a whole infield to walk through here today. Um, your target already dealing with an injury, unfortunately, in camp. We're talking about a lot of Dodgers camp stories right now, but I guess there's a lot of positions that are available for a team that's always highly competitive, so it's interesting when there's some turnover and some young players coming in. That player we're talking about is Miguel Vargas. He's been working out at second base. How concerned are you by the injury, and what is it that you really like about Vargas? Because you're one of the highest you know, in terms of rankings on Vargas out there, and I think with pretty good reason. I'm not not worried. I don't like when hands or wrists are, are injured for hitters because, you know, there's so many stories where they, they had to tweak the swing. They don't even know they're doing it, but mechanically they kind of get out of whack because they're trying to avoid aggravating the injury. Um, so I'm a bit concerned. Um, that being said, it's a pinky. It's not like a handmade or something. So I expect that he's going to, he's going to heal fully. Um, Again, yeah, like we said with the Dodgers, they have they have a lot of playing time available. Um, Miguel Vargas has always had that great approach. He doesn't have the incredible exit velocities, but you know he's got the good approach. Professional hitter, I like to say. He's going to play probably second base. He may play left field. He may get multiple position eligibility, which is kind of what I like about it. And um, a lot of lists have come out um, where on a real-life list he's a bit lower, and so I think that's kind of a, an advantage you can exploit because someone just looking at lists, someone who's a casual player in a dynasty league may look at lists at some of our competitors or even the real life list we have a BA and say, Oh, you know, he's not a top 10 prospect. So yeah, I'll trade him when in fantasy, he's going to be a guy who's going to be putting up solid numbers for years to come. And he's on the Dodgers. So that's always a positive. That's going to boost his value in the future anyway. So I like Miguel Vargas. Yeah, and I, I can't argue with that uh, too much. My target in second base, that's not going to shock anybody. It's Jonathan India. Uh, I loved India as a prospect. Um, really, you know, loved him as a, as a rookie. Had him all over the place last year. It was definitely a disappointing year. Um, it, there were some, in, you know, some stories that are out there in terms of the injuries that he dealt with. Dealt with multiple injuries last year. He's back to full health. I love you know, he's going to hit sort of sort of at the top of that Reds lineup. Not that it's a great lineup, but there's op- opportunity there to get a lot of plate appearances, to get a lot of at-bats. And he's calling Great America Ballpark his home. That's one of the best, if it's actually the best park for right-handed pull-hitting power. And he is definitely a right-handed hitting pull-hitter. So I'm backing on India 
I think the price is readjusted. Um, when you look at the second base field, there's some good names at the top, but it wouldn't shock me if India sort of, you know, recaptures what he did during his rookie of the year season in 2021. And we see sort of, you know, that rebound to what India can be. This is a guy that makes, you know, fairly good contact. The plate approach has always been really good. He hits for some power. He can steal some bases. And, you know, he's probably going to hit one, two, three in that lineup. So there's going to be a lot of plate appearances as well. That's a big part of the equation. So I'm backing on India. That's my target. I want to talk a little bit, though, about our sleepers. Really fun names here. The first one, your sleeper, Jordan Westberg, just another hitter from this Baltimore factory. It seems like there's five or six guys that are in the cusp of the major leagues right now that can have an impact in 2023 and be really interesting. So why are you into Westberg? You know, what's the reason that you pick him as your sleeper? Yeah, I talk about contact rate. I talk about contact quality, but there's a third dimension, uh, not as important, but important for for the minor leaguers, and that's chase rate. And as you're alluding to, the Orioles are are big on that right now. They're they're really working on the swing decisions of their of their of their prospects. And I just Jordan Westberg's is just another solid player, average to above average scouting grades across across the board. No real flaws. He can play defense anywhere on the infield he's got the arm for third he's got the range for short so he's kind of ahead of like the joey ortiz connor norby kind of the the next um batch of players who are coming up and i think if he gets his foot in the door and he doesn't embarrass himself which i do not expect he will it's going to be hard to kick him out of that spot so i think he's just a good solid player in a good solid lineup for a team that's just going to be great for years to come as we expect based on uh the uh, prospect capital they have coming through the pipe. Um, yeah, it's just a name I like a lot, and I don't think the industry has caught up yet. Agree. And he's the best athlete of all those prospects in that Oriole system. That's saying something to do target guys like that. Um, he's a player that, you know, he's going he's gonna to have power. Like you said, he's got the plate approach. My big, my big mantra with a lot of these guys is approach doesn't slump. Guy takes the right pitches, works his walks, gets on base. Even when things aren't dropping for him when he's making contact, he's going to get on base. He's still going to get opportunities for steals, for runs. That helps out your teams even in the bad weeks. So that's definitely a player that I'm targeting. I think that there's an opportunity here for Westberg to probably play fairly early. Um, we'll see what happens. There's certainly you know a few other names, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, some players that were in the upper minors as well that are worthy. Um, but for me, it's, it's Westberg and he's probably the guy that I'm most excited about. So I agree with you there. My sleeper, uh, somebody I talked about a lot at the end of the season, going into the AFL, he was a player I talked about a lot. He got a lot of hype in the AFL. That's Edouard Julian. Uh, I'm talking a lot of twins today, but this is a guy that's done something. And I think I've said this about a thousand times already, but there's nobody in the last 25 years, like in the minor leagues, any level, any age, 400 um, uh, OBP, 15 or more homers, 15 or more steals in consecutive seasons. He not only did this in consecutive seasons, the last guy to do it, I believe, was in 96 and 97. It was Roger Horn, who was like 27 years old, was a, was a Cardinals prospect. Um, he did it in his first two full minor league seasons. You never see that. Um, that's one of the reasons that I'm in, kind of going back to what I just said. 
approach doesn't slump. He's going to get on base. He's got some power. He's got a little bit of speed, you know, with these, these rules that have now been adopted by the major leagues that we saw in the minors last year in terms of, you know, throwing, throwing to first base and, you know, some of those things, the pitch clock, it's a lot easier for good instinctual base stealers to sort of time things out and get their steals. So Julian's a guy that I'm into. I think that this guy could be a dynamite leadoff hitter, you know, get on base consistently. If he's got run producers behind him, guys that can drive, uh, can drive guys, you know, in consistently. Julian's going to be one of these guys that, you know, could flirt with 80, 90 or more runs every single year, maybe a hundred if it, if it really goes well. But th- that that approach is at that level that it's going to translate. You know, he's going to have a double-digit walk rate. I don't even have a question about that. There's enough power to make it work. There's enough speed to make it work. This could be an exciting player that, you know, potentially, um, you know, puts up really well-rounded numbers uh, for your team. And, you know, being able to target runs and get guys that do produce runs consistently is, is a big part of it. So um, that's one of the reasons that I like Julian a lot. What are your thoughts on Julian, actually? Because I know we have him ranked fairly high, but um, you're the numbers guy. So what do you think? <laughs> uh, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm a bit concerned it might be passive. I'm also a bit concerned. I say, I say concern, but this is in quotes, uh, that there are a lot of players with a small amount of positions available in Minnesota. I know they traded Luis Arias. Uh, but they have Jose Miranda, Carlos Correa is back, Royce Lewis is going to come back, Alex Kirilov. There's there's so many Jorge players. Polanco. <laughs> Jorge Polanco. Um, and Julian is not the greatest defensively, so he probably has got to be at second base. And I mentioned a lot of names, like so there's going to be a DH glut. Um, so I'm a bit worried about that, but this is the type of thing that one one player – kind of rises above the top he stays in the lineup and then we forget that we had questions about who was gonna get the playing time and julian definitely has the ingredients to to be that guy so i like that do you, do you think julian is gonna make it out of spring training in the major league club no he's on the 40-man roster i think it's probably you know for you know next man up if there's an injury that that happens that wouldn't shock me or someone really slumps um i just think julian's approach is just that much better. And you're not, we're not talking about defensive stalwarts here, you know, outside of Correa, you know, with Polanco and some of these other guys, they're kind of the same like square pegs when it comes to defense. Maybe this is a guy that fits into left field. He makes enough contact that, you know, maybe it offsets some of the guys that they have as outfield options, corner outfield options, Gallo, Walner, some of these guys that don't make a whole lot of contact. They need somebody like that. Um, you know, maybe it's not this year, a little bit later, but I do think that, you know, we will see Julian over the next couple of years, whether it's in Minnesota or somewhere else as like a legitimate leadoff guy that gets his opportunities. Um, there's ways that this typically works out. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that he's on the 40 man roster makes me feel a little bit better about it because that could potentially open up a move. And, you know, if he ends up getting traded or somebody else does. He's probably going to find playing time, whether it's in Minnesota or somewhere else. I don't I, I think he's ready offensively. For the majors, the big question is the defense is really bad. I mean, he's a bad second baseman, frankly. Um, he's athletic enough that maybe they could fit him in left field. You know, I don't know how the arm's going to play there. I haven't seen him play left, so maybe that's not a possibility. But that seems to be a position where they often stick guys that are bad defenders in left field that have at least a little bit of athleticism. So should be interesting to see how that plays out. But let's move on to third base now. So uh, 
on third base. Your target is actually a prospect here. It is uh, Junior Caminero, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, was acquired from the Guardians at 40-man roster deadline 2021. Uh, it was sort of early on in my BA days. One of the first things that I did was sort of write this trade up. Um, but he got moved sort of when the Rays had a, had a roster crunch, I think it was Tobias Myers that he got traded for, if I remember correctly. It hasn't worked out so well for the Guardians. Caminero has really exploded. Um, ended up in full season ball at the end of the season. This guy hits the ball hard. Another guy that has played approach and contact. What do you like about Caminero? Because this was one of my sleepers coming into the year. Contact and contact quality. That That's what he has. One of the first things I did at Prospects Live was look at um, swing decisions of the minor league with the stack cast data we had. And I made a note that although he had good contact and contact quality, he chased a lot, which was kind of very un-Cleveland like. And then and I mentioned that in the article, and then he got traded, like you said, because of the 40-man crutch. So he's, his ex- exit velocities are incredible for someone his age. He had um, better contact rate than Jackson Churio at the same age, at the same level. And, you know, we love Churio, and we love what Churio can do. Um, I'm on a broken record. Just contact and contact quality. Cunha Caminero, very young, is doing all that. So we, I, I feel he has only to go the only place he can go is up so that that's why he's my target i have him right beside anthony rendon or we have him right beside anthony rendon and i'm uh i i think i would take caminero over rendon eight times out of ten yeah um i think i probably would too i it, it would be tough like i would really need a third baseman and everything else would have to be there for me to be like yeah i guess i'm going to take rendon here so yeah i agree with that one um i got another i guess technical prospect here that's josh young um it was a disappointing debut in 2022 he's had so many injuries over the last couple of years but the big thing for me is i know the type of hitter that young was prior to the most recent injury when he came back in triple a he hit pretty well but the approach just wasn't jiving with what he had always been. He'd always had really good swing decisions. The contact was above average. He had power as well. He was hitting for some power, but we weren't seeing the walks and everything else. We saw the same thing at the MLB level that he struggled. I think a lot of that was just a guy who had a bunch of injuries that was just you know trying to get back into form, gets his first taste of the majors, maybe isn't 100%. If he's had a full healthy offseason in everything that I've read – there's no reason to believe that he hasn't had a full healthy offseason. This is a guy that I'm betting on sort of rebounding a little bit. There's opportunity abound in Texas for him to play every day this year. He's at the right age. He's on 40-man rosters on a you know 26-man roster. I think that this is a guy that could potentially break out and be really valuable in all formats. I am taking a leap of faith that the approach hasn't completely tanked. Usually you don't see guys go from above average swing decisions to below average swing decisions like that. I guess it's always possible. We've seen that once in a while, but I'm sort of betting on a young, a young bounce back this year. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on young, but he's definitely somebody that, that I'm sort of targeting in as many leagues as I possibly can get him. Yeah, I think he's the type it's hard. It's always hard for me to, to target these sort of post hype, not that he's post hype, but someone who, had a very bad debut in the majors with high strikeout rates. It's hard for me to do that, but that's the thing that 
that's where you you get the value. He jo- Josh Young in the minors had like peak projections based on his production, looking like sort of Manny Machado. He looked like twenty five home runs, like nearly three hundred average. Like it just looked like he was going to put it all together. He was a huge target of many people halfway through the season and then yeah it doesn't just fall off a cliff because he he reaches the majors so i i I think you're right to bet on the 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 pedigree and the history and the body of work and just take it as a blip and give him a mulligan i think that's a great call yeah that's kind of what i'm doing here let's go to your sleeper in third base and move on to shortstops and wrap this up brian ramos from the white Sox. this is a guy that I think for a lot of the reasons that you like him, contact, contact quality, since swing decisions, kind of jumped off the page to me early in 2022. Um, he struggled a little bit, kind of came back again. I'm interested. So you have you have Brian Ramos of the White Sox as your sleeper. Why? Everything you said. He's uh, he's unsung for, uh, for me. For, for the ability to hit and ability to hit for power, he's not really getting the the kudos in the in the space. Um, as much as baseball America is the best prospect evaluators, the best contacts, the best network, um, basically the, the leader, obviously in the space, your league mates also use other outlets. (laughs) The perceived value of these prospects is important. And just today, like I mentioned, uh, Fangraphs has Brian Ramos in their top 100. I think he's like number 49. Kylie McDaniel at ESPN has him, I think 49 as well. So I look like a genius here saying he's a sleeper and then all of a sudden he's popping up on top 100 lists. So (laughs) like, he's probably not a sleeper anymore. You can't just acquire Brian Ramos from your league mates because they're just going to look at the the public rankings that they have access to and they'll see that he's, uh, he's already top 50. So yeah, he just, he has, he, he's just a hitter. He probably will be up, uh, with the White Sox this year, he's still young. I think he's 22. He's always been young for the level. It's just this is a guy that has um, just <laughs> – sorry, I just lost my train of thought. But he, he's just <laughs> someone who who should be getting more attention than he is, and it's it's criminal that he hasn't been. And so I wanted to give him some, uh, give him some, some digital ink. And so, I, I mean, I have him on a couple teams, and I'm very happy about it. Um, so I'm not doing it because I don't think he deserves it, but it's, uh, yeah, in, in hindsight, it looks great for me to call him a sleeper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it depends, you know, obviously those, those two outlets are pretty high on him. Um, you know, Kylie and Eric worked together for a long time, so I'm sure they have some similar contacts they're getting that information from, but, uh, yeah, no, he's definitely a name that, that popped over the last year. And I think in some circles is probably still a little underrated, but let's move on to shortstops. Let's wrap this up. You have a target that I love. This is one of the players I was on early last year. Um, I think if you saw what this guy did in double-A, one of the youngest players in the Eastern League, Ezekiel Tovar of the Rockies, of course, is who I'm talking about. Standout defender. I mean, this defense is going to keep him in the lineup. I believe in the bat. The approach isn't great. There's contact, there's power, and there's a whole lot of baby love he's going to get <laughs> in Coors. So, why Tovar and and what do you like about him? Just everything you said. It's uh, incredible defense. So he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna play full time. He's got the huge Colorado bump. He's power speed combination. So like could be twenty twenty for a while. Um, he he doesn't have the greatest exit velocities, but when he does make contact, he he kind of 
optimizes his his uh his bat path and the launch angles are right where you want them so he gets kind of like the kyle manzardo thing where the the exit velocities aren't off the page but every time he makes contact the, the what the times that he does make the good contact it's in the barrel the barrel zone and that's what tovar does so yeah the approach isn't great um colorado has had some issues developing hitters but it sounds like he's going to have the job out of spring training and that's going to be 10 years of production and so that's someone i'm targeting yeah absolutely and i think we'll wrap this up with your fade cj abrams this was a hot name a couple years ago everyone was buying into the athleticism you know i was always a little skeptical because he's a smaller guy and for that reason he hasn't really developed a lot of power is that why you're fading him doing what are your thoughts on cj abrams i have another factoid that i'll throw out there as well but i'll let you uh get go in on cj a little bit that third dimension that i talked about is chase right he's always chased mm -hmm. a lot he had a 35 percent chase rate in double a last year in triple a in major leagues he had a 40 percent and 44 percent so i mean that's the danger zone you can make it work if you're crushing the ball but he doesn't crush the ball he's not javi baez he's not boba he's not sal perez he's he's cj abrams and then playing shortstop where the nationals have him, he, he has like the worst outs above average per, per stat cast. Um, and I just feel that that cut that will weigh on him. He'll want to focus on his defense. He will want to do well. The nationals will want him to, to improve there. And there's just a lot of dimensions to his game that he's going to have to work on. And it's hard to do multiple, multiple things at once. I know I can't do it. Um, so I'm worried. I know he's only 22. Um, he's got lots of time. Um, but just because the chase rate is not going to walk a lot. So his OBPs aren't going to be great. And it's going to be one of those guys that you have on your roster that he's exceeded his minor league eligibility. You've got to hold him, but you only have a few bench spots and it gets harder and harder to, to justify holding him. but you don't want to drop him because he, he was a top 20 prospect. Um, so it's just the type of guy that I try to avoid. Yeah. Same here. And I think if, you know, you look at, you look at Abrams, um, you know, chase rate. I mean, he's swinging out of the zone. Like you said, almost 44% of the time. Um, it's sort of bottom 20 in baseball. And if you look at that list of, you know, sort of bottom 20 names, there's not too many players who consistently put up great seasons. You know, Ozzy Albies sort of like being the one guy within that group that consistently is pretty good. Louis Roberts in that group. But I mean, you know, he's not far off from, Javi Baez, uh, and then you look to, you know, just walk rates. If you're in, like, any format points or OBP that's really, you know, counting walks, I believe that among players that had, like, 200 or more plate appearances in 2022, um, I'm trying to pull it up. I, I think he's, like, once again, like, bottom 25. I mean, it, it, it's pretty rough stuff. Like, I I just don't know where you're buying in on this one unless this is a guy that just gets so many at-bats and so much opportunity that he somehow wills his way into, like, 35 steals or something with the new rules. And you're like, all right, like, that's when I can buy in on C.J. Abrams. But that's a, it, it is a, it's a tough buy or tough sell for me at this point. I, I, I'm just fading him in all formats as well. He's not somebody that I'm targeting. I understand he's 22. But, um, yeah, I mean, over – 302 plate appearances. He had a one, a 1.7% walk rate. That is gross. <laughs>
That's tough. I don't I don't know how you buy into that. He almost never walks. So something's gotta something's gotta give here. He's either gotta, you know, add even like bad approach, because at this point it's like a 20, you know. Um it's about as bad as could be, and he doesn't have that power like some of these other guys do, where like Javi Byers or whatever can can maybe overcome it a little bit because he hits for power. Another player that I've I've pretty much faded in fantasy forever. <laughs> Even when the price is really, really low, it's just kind of one of those guys don't want him on my team. But this is one of those guys that people will require for speed and you know hope that he steals some bases. Not so sure that that's going to be as much of a premium, uh, you know, as it had been in previous years, um, especially with the new rules and potentially a lot more guys stealing. You know, now that we have those big pizza box box bases out there, so we'll see how that plays in. But Dylan. I think we've covered everything that we planned on covering. Go and check out all of our rankings for the infield positions. Catchers is out. Outfield is out. Like I said, we're going to have pitchers out next week and then probably dynasty rankings at the end of the week. Of course, please tune in tomorrow if you are a Baseball America subscriber or go and subscribe so you can tune in. It's going to be right there on the site. It's the fantasy summit that I'm talking about. Some of the biggest names in the industry, and we're going to be covering all types of topics, all different scoring formats, all different styles of leagues, whether it's redraft, you know, draft and hold or a lot of dynasty stuff. We're even going to have a really interesting conversation with Kyle Glazer from Baseball America and Tim McLeod from Prospects 361. Both guys that follow international baseball really heavily, particularly the Japanese and Korean leagues. And we're going to learn about a lot of these really exciting players that are in Japan. Some that are going to be coming over to the major leagues this year. Some that might going to be so. Excuse me, I'm learning, forgetting how to talk here at the end of the show. Some that could be coming over in the next couple of years, but a whole lot of players we're going to be able to watch during the WBC that I'm excited for. The World Baseball Classic is coming up in the next couple of weeks. That's going to be exciting. There's some exciting teams. No team that's more exciting than Team Japan, which actually has our guy Lars Nukbar. So there you go. But Dylan, thanks for for uh, rocking with me a little bit here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe. It's been another Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.